0: The SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Janik Seeley. I'm moderating this panel, Where Are We Going? Uh, we have an amazing panel today um, comprised of some true, true innovators in the space, Um, and a a huge question that we have to answer in today's um, panel session. And we had the uh, opportunity to speak a bit in preparation for this panel earlier today. And one of the things that we all remarked is, um, while a broad question, where are we going, the concept of we as a record industry um, and as a music industry has also expanded as well. So the concept of we is no longer the what we would call legacy uh, major label system, but it also has afforded other individuals a seat at the table. So, we now have indie content creators that are sitting at the, at the same table of the music industry, technology platforms, um, in addition to the record label and the record industry, and also the fan has a seat at the table in this new uh, recorded music record industry um, of today. So, one thing that we wanted to know, given that this expanded, we um, exist in terms of the audience. Who we are speaking to? Who the who is comprising the audience in terms of we? I'm um, here today. What who is represented? Uh, and if you could just give us a show of hands so we know who our audience is, um, in terms of developers or people representing technology platforms. Okay. And what about indie content creators, musicians, and record industry folks?
2: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Major label folks,
3: <laughs>
1: um, and I guess you know, just fans. If there are people that came in general interest, um, in music fans. I guess everybody would consider themselves a fan, so probably all the hands in in the audience would be um, up if we saw that. So it's so you see it by the composition of the audience that actually this this we is largely expanded. And so we've got, uh, I'm gonna let each of the panelists introduce themselves, Um, everybody on here, we really have a treat today to to hear from them, um, represents not only personally uh, breadth and uh, depth of experience in the industry and the convergence of music and technology, but also they represent extraordinarily innovative platforms that have seen success and have been successful in driving us forward um, in terms of innovation. So with that, I will let each, um, starting to my left, I guess, introduce yourself.
3: I'm Gabe Adive, and I'm the founder and CEO of TuneUp Media. Uh, we have a plugin called TuneUp, which is the number one plugin for iTunes. Helps you organize your music collection. Addresses the issues of track 01s, track 07s, unknown artists, missing cover art, deduplicates, etc., And uh, from there, I have managed to stream in best of web content into the uh, iTunes ecosystem amidst your iTunes listening experience.
2: So, Gabe, you're going to fix 40% of my library. (laughs) Yep. I'm Jack Isquith. I work at uh, Slacker Radio. Uh, I lead our strategic development. Um, It was really interesting watching the hands go up because, to me, it's sort of... representative of I have a a 18 year old daughter who just went to school of sort of what she would be interested in and and what she would think is exciting about the music business which is basically primarily tech and uh, people who are doing something independently in terms of content creation as opposed perhaps to the older model of sort of mass media or record labels um, which were less represented as you guys saw and um, I'll just say, you know, briefly for Slacker, we we sort of, for me, it's a dream job in the sense that we combine three things that I've always been really passionate about, and that is, you know, technology or gadgets. I don't think I always called it technology, but, you know, radios, Walkman, whatever it was that could get me to the music, uh, the music itself, and radio. And we can talk more about this stuff later, but um, it's good to be here.
4: Hello, my name is Julie Lee. I head up business development and business affairs for a company called Vivo. And we, to us, represent the 62 million unique users in the U.S. who entrust us with their time. It also represents the 500-plus advertisers who entrust us with their brand to market to the audience, as well as all of the content community who, use, who entrust us with their creativity to be able to render a music experience that's premium and highest quality across all of our platforms.
5: Hi, I'm Ty Roberts. I'm the CTO and co-founder of uh, Gracenote. Um, I've been doing this multimedia stuff with music for, I just thought about it, about 20 years. Um, I started at the top and moved directly to the bottom. Uh, <laughs> I started working, started literally working with David Bowie and Brian Eno and working with artists and creating multimedia albums. Um, and then I went off into information and GraceNote has uh, built the largest database of music information in the world and then took that information and enabled mobile phones uh, automobiles television sets to interact with music and now recently we've expanded to TV and movies so I've been along for the whole ride I, I might know a little or maybe I've forgotten most of it but I'd love to have you ask me some questions so hope you're getting some ready
6: Uh, I'm Seth Goldstein. I'm the uh, chairman and co-founder of Turntable.fm. How many people have used Turntable here? Cool. Um, So we're sort of a social music network. Um, We're very focused on discovery. I think the thesis is that um, there's a lot of services and applications um, that allow people to find what they're looking for. Uh, There's not as many that uh, help people discover music that they might not know to look for. Um, we've driven a, a, a lot of purchasing through iTunes and a lot of clicks to Spotify queues uh, already. Um, um, at Seth is my Twitter name, and Seth at turntable.fm. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of great rooms that people have probably tuned into. Um, I think there's a sense that it's all... Uh, Indie or hip hop or electronica, Um, but we're starting to see uh, country rooms, we're starting to see um, jazz rooms, classical rooms. Um, My favorite is the orange bear party indie room where the only theme is not a music theme, but you have to wear the orange bear avatar.
1: And I'm Janique Seeley. I head up business development for um, Adam Digital. It's a division of Atom Factory. We're a artist management company. Uh, on the roster is Lady Gaga, Grace and Chance, Mindless Behavior. I'm um, headed by Troy Carter, who's an uh, um, interest in, in heavy involvement in the digital space. So um, I'm charged with, on a day-to-day basis, finding out what's happening, what's next, um, sitting with a lot of technology companies and seeing how we can uh, create new business models around music and connect uh, technology to uh, to traditional music platforms that can, and improve the consumer experience um, around music and leverage technology. So I guess we'll start off, um, I'm going to pose this question, um, we can do it down the row or make it an open discussion um, amongst the panelists let's answer the the main question of the panel discussion where are we going from your vantage point? So is a brave soul willing to start with this one or should I just start calling people (laughs) out?
3: I'll, I'll jump in. Um, not particularly brave, but don't <laughs> love the silence either. So, um, I think what's, what's really interesting, um, you know, September 12, 2011, um, is the number of different ways that people are digesting, uh, consuming music. Um, I don't think that there is any particular uh, platform or means um, that has cornered the market, nor do I think it will. I think that people will always want to have their own music collections. I think that subscription services like uh, Mog are spectacular. Um, I think that Pandora is terrific. Um, it really depends on context. Sometimes I just get lost in sort of the, the world of YouTube and we will just watch live videos all day and ignore all those other methods of, of uh, consuming music that I just mentioned. So I think what's really interesting now is uh, trying to figure out how uh, all these different worlds can sort of play well together and, and collaborate. And create ultimately the uh, the best uh, end user experience.
1: I think Julie, you had an interesting point about the collaboration element and the fact that um, services are no longer standalone. And I'll, I'll let you elaborate.
4: I think there's been a lot of innovation in the space, and we've been quite lucky with that. Um, with great innovators in the audio space, uh, Grace Snow with a lot of the context, in addition of context to delivering a premium experience. Um, ultimately, I think the service that delivers upon an experience that cannot be commoditized is going to win, and it's about building a relationship with the we. Um, I think with Vivo, we've done a great job in terms of building a relationship with the creative community, Uh, be it the labels, the studios, the independent artists, etc. We've also done a great job in partnership with the brand sponsors in creating a unique environment, listening to them. But I think with all relationship, you need to listen, you need to absorb what they have to say, and then also incorporate upon your action. And the next evolution that I really feel like we're going to have as an industry is from a service perspective, recognize who your users are. Who's engaging with you? And I think with our service, we have over 3 billion views. We're very lucky to be entrusted with their time. But what are we doing to listen to them and deliver upon an experience that they're looking for and also recognizing that they're all different? So one component is incorporating a lot of the metadata that, you know, TIES company has built so well. But at the same time, it's about also having a dialogue with them. It's about having the conversation that you normally would have with your friends to be getting really excited about a new repertoire that comes out, or a new album, or a new artist. How do you have that at a service level, at a targeted level, that's beyond just recommendation and feeding you a whole bunch of videos? And I think that's the next evolution.
1: And Ty, I thought that you had a a great point about the confluence of audio and video uh, content and how the two can be combined and or leveraged um, in this forward looking
5: yeah I mean I think a lot of us have spent the last maybe you know ten years just trying to get recorded music onto the internet in a way that's that's accessible. So I think that's done. There's many great services, a lot of people to do that. I think the next wave is, and we put video on the internet, I think the next wave is really collaboration. The the fans are, well, the perfect example here left of me, the fans are already collaborating with each other. They're already taking photos and posting as a group to Facebook and providing imagery that goes along with the information that they're putting up there. But the fans are just starting to get the tools in their hands to actually collaborate, both musically with the artists and visually with the artists. And I think the next wave is really about this collaboration and enabling the artists who embrace this, you know, new connection to really make things with their fans, or embrace things their fans make, or enable their fans to make them, or fans enabling other fans to make things. And this will, and things are, will be reflective of each other. You know, one of the things I see happening in music and video today is somebody makes a video, then somebody makes a joke video of that video, then somebody makes a. Joke video of that video then somebody makes a serious video of that joke video and so the reality is is that that's the that's the example of the future that i foresee and i think the services that embrace the fan and can take the risks that, that 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 means when you turn on collaboration people can make anything some things will be positive some things will be negative but i do think that that will really allow a vast expansion and there are artists that are here today in the audience if you guys saw nathan moore speak this morning He's building an album with songs, with people that are contributing to him, the pieces. He's interacting with them in real time. He's reviewing their pieces. Oh, he's here right now. There is Nathan Moore. Hi, Nathan. Um, basically, basically, his fans are actually making his album with him as he's traveling around. And I think this perfectly represents the kind of new artist and the new artist that embraces this, this new future. Yeah.
2: So to, to jump in and sort of pivot off of what you were saying, Ty, there's you know one of the sort of positioning statements across Slacker Radio is... Uh, we make the stations, you make them better. And, you know, while there are 150 plus radio stations on Slacker and they're highly curated and, you know, we just launched uh, everything from One Hit Wonders to Grunge 20 years later, um, a big part of the proposition and, and something that we talk about all the time is to create things that are fun and exciting and feel like it's what the consumers want today. And a big part of that is to give them control. And, I, you know, from my standpoint, having worked in a few different spots in the sort of digital music uh, ecosystem, that's a really powerful thing. I think the idea of curation is very important and of human beings basically bringing context to music and entertainment. But at the same time, I think marrying that with giving people the power to control their experience and engage um, is going to continue to be a big theme as we move forward.
1: So, Gabe, I've got a bunch of content in my iTunes library, and it's not well-organized, and I'm a little frustrated with the organizational system. How does TuneUp help me improve my experience around the content that I own?
3: That's a great question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would, um, you know, so... You know, the, one of the biggest issues um, you know, that I had with my own music collection um, was a sort of uh, Achilles heel of uh, missing or inconsistent metadata. Things like Track 01, Track 07, Led Zeppelin, and Jay-Z spelled 12 different ways. Um, every hip-hop album showing up as 30 different artists because they all have featuring artists and me having to scroll through to just listen to one album. And it's all stuff I want to listen to, but all issues that I had. So it was is a pretty... Um, linear solution. We have three main utility features. The first is clean, which leverages uh, grace note technology um, to go ahead and identify through acoustic fingerprinting and other methods um, those track 07s and track 09s and unknown artists um, through uh, you know, similar technology that you know, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with um, like Shazam um, that actually digitally listens to it and then uses all sorts of other methods to effectively relabel your music. And uh, with all due respect, Ty, uh, we have layered our own smarts on top of it <laughs> to sort of, uh, you know, uh, address um, exactly what people are alluding to—what the consumer wants. So we t- collected tons of customer feedback. Um, things like uh, tracks showing up on greatest hits albums, and they wanted on the original. We added our own smarts to sort of address that. Um, cover art—you um, know, it's either there or it's not. And when it's not, your iPhone, iPad iTunes cover flow just isn't as inviting to the eye, so we find cover art from a number of sources. Um, and then uh, most recently we launched the Deduplicator, which in theory should be really easy, right? You have two of the same tracks, just go in and you know delete the extra one. Problem is, is that the same track will show up on maybe five different albums that you have, and you don't want these... You know, holes in these original albums, but they also show up on the greatest hits, and then you have a live version. So we've uh, taken a long time to create smarts around creating what we believe to be the best in all of those categories. So, but, what, but Gabe, what about the most exciting feature, which is like actually <laughs> linking to? I uh, was getting there, Ty. That's a <laughs> great question. That's a great question. <laughs> so that's what You're actually, getting all the softballs, okay. right? Um, so we have uh, this other feature, which is called Tuniverse. And what Tunaverse does is it brings in best of web content based on what you're listening to, contextually, within the iTunes experience. Um, So we plug right into the side of uh, iTunes. There's four tabs. Fourth one is Tunaverse. You click it. And as you're listening to music, live versions are coming through via YouTube, um, sometimes vivo. Um, That's the part that I use. That's the actual interesting part. (laughs) Well, this is where the fun starts, right? Like, how do we leverage... The uh, you know we now have six million registered users. Um, you know how do we take the next step and embrace that which I addressed? Um, you know first off is collaborating. You know with these different content uh, providers, uh, radio providers, subscription service providers to you know create a sort of one-stop shop so that the user has the most uh, convenient user experience possible. And Tuneverse has been wildly successful for those people that find it. Um, we really plug ourselves as a sort of cleanup utility. So pivoting to this content feed, um, let's say, has been a little bit challenging. Um, but there's a number of uh, methods that we built into the product to sort of help that experience. And uh, we recently relaunched a campaign with uh, Biz Marquis on television, who is our captain tune-up. And uh, some of you guys uh, may have seen it. It sounds like Gary has. Um, and, and he gets into uh, a bunch of these features as well, and hitting the mainstream with some of the stuff that you know, may not address you know, the niche music geek that you know, doesn't maybe care about the track sevens, but just wants to see their YouTube videos and yeah. their iTunes experience.
1: So it's, what I see this as, and I think what is very interesting, is that you've taken a, a real consumer need and evolved it into almost a new format in a new product and I think that is reflected in uh, several of the platforms that are reflected on, on the panel. Um, Seth I'm gonna toss to you and if you can address the, the consumer need, how your platform evolved to meet a consumer need and how it's evolving into reshaping the way that we experience music to illustrate where we're going.
6: Okay um. <laughs> So I think um, one could argue that initially music was social, right? That the the idea of going to a chamber orchestra or playing albums in your living room, um, it was analog, it was real life, but it was social. Um, I think with MP3s and headphones and sort of the New York subway culture, suddenly it became totally individualistic. So it was digital, um, but it wasn't social. And... I think what turntable the website has tapped into um, is a sort of reemergence of a social experience um, and you know it's not just social there's sort of the knee jerk everything is social, and if I share my playlist with you it's social, um, or if I tweet out the music I'm listening to it's social um, it's social to an extent and it, it it's real-time insofar it's, it's sort of sequential and threaded. Um, when I talk about social, particularly as it relates to turntable, it's live social. It's the fact that we are in a space together listening to the same music at the same time. And I think that introduces a lot of really powerful dynamics. Um, in terms of where we're going with the product, um, we have imminently, as in very, very soon, an, a mobile app coming out. Um, I think what that does is is, te- is it makes it digital, social, and in the real world, right? So it's not about a bunch of bu- not about a bunch of people behind their browsers and laptops, but it's you know imagine experiencing turntable as a concert or at a concert, and you're in the audience with your device and you're laming or awesoming songs, or you're actually DJing from the device onto the stage um, that other people are listening to music to um, or that one of the DJ slots um, that's available on the stage is actually being filled by someone who's using their iPhone in LA when you're listening to music in New York. So it just starts to blend um, the real world and the digital world in really, really interesting ways. It preserves, I think, a native social experience um, but uses technology in, in some pretty unique ways as well.
1: And Julie, I had the um, privilege of watching Vivo start as a hypothesis and turn into a tremendous success and i 'm wondering um, from your vantage point, what does what has vivo what can vivo teach us or tell us about the consumers that we 're now in dialogue with and that we 're now accessing in a way that we never had and that they have a, a seat at this at the table in this new configuration of the industry, how does this innovative platform, what instructive lessons can you give us?
4: I mean, I think um, many of the panelists here have services that listen to their consumers, and I think the one thing that we've done is whenever we think about product enhancements or new product features, we're always thinking about what do the consumers want, and we think of ourselves as a consumer, and therefore we're able to deliver an environment that delivers upon it. So, for instance, as a consumer, do we really care about what device you're on or what platform you happen to be? And do we have to think about whether or not I'm on an Android device versus an Apple on a a Mac versus on my smartphone? And does that effectively mean that I need to enter into that service through a different protocol? Not really, right? And I think in terms of a technology, I think... In some ways, all of the innovation that the industry has gone through, some, in some way created like a wild, wild uh, west in terms of uncertainty, in terms of if you enter into an experience, what does that mean? And I think the classic example I recently went through is my three-year-old son is a massive fan of Thomas the Train, and I go on YouTube, and I can't tell whether or not it's actually Thomas the Train or Thomas the Train gone bad.
2: Thomas um, <laughs> the Bad
5: Train.
4: And in my unfortunate <laughs> environment, it. it was... That,
2: that's a mother's dilemma for yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. No,
4: and um, my haphazard searching, of course, I got the Thomaston Train Gone Bad where they're hacking of the train, which was not a good experience. <laughs> um, I think what we've done is Vivo as a brand represents premium experience. And we've done it so that you as a consumer don't need to care where you're getting it. We deliver, we deliver on that experience through our syndication platform so that if you happen to want a, a experience that's delivered very well by a company called AOL, you can get that music experience in AOL, except that's delivered to you at, by Vivo, and that Vivo brand represents a premium experience. And if you wanted to have that within YouTube, you can do that as well. So we've taken away the scarcity that was... Basically, in some ways, kind of paralyzing the industry and made it so that it's ubiquitous. You can get it everywhere. You can get it in any platform. And we'll partner with many innovators because we can't do everything ourselves so that we can deliver upon the promise to be able to ultimately recognize the fact that the consumers are entrusting us with a very valuable resource, which is their time and be able to do that effectively and optimize it. So we'll worry about optimization across platform. The consumers don't have to. And we'll work with every platform, every device manufacturer, every distribution partner to be able to do that.
1: So Ty, I have a question for you that I I asked you a bit ago in the green room, in terms of how how do you task yourself um, as an innovator already to provide an even better consumer experience? What do you challenge yourself with? What do you see as the unmet needs of the consumer and that we haven't met and that we should be looking towards?
5: Um, well, I guess the main thing that I'm focused on is I, I feel that, and I've been to this conference a lot, and I thought people used to say, Music is a background thing. I, I vacuum my house while you listen to music. That makes me crazy. I want to take back music to the foreground. I want to take back the living room. I want music to be the thing that you focus on doing. And yes, you learn about other things, and you do stuff with it. You create with the artist, but you're fully engaged. I want to make it something that's impossible to vacuum to, almost, in a way. So the reality is, is that I don't mind if you listen to music while you vacuum. My course, i probably do that too. But really, I don't want that to be... I think that we've let music become a background product. And I think we did that in a few ways. I mean, Dave Hyman's right here right now, and Dave used to always say to me, quality, man, you have to sell quality. Okay, People don't appreciate it. But now if you look at all these services, guess what? Your service has high quality. Everyone has high quality now. And if you talk to the service guys, the consumers turn it on. Of course, what are they going to do? Turn on the low quality? Why would you do that? I mean, I'm going to select low quality, maybe because I have low bandwidth. But the reality is, quality is important. Visuals are important. Things that basically would engage the consumer, consumer interaction, creating with the consumer, communicating with the consumer. And we need to do a much better job of that. You know, a lot of the focus in the last few years has been on just trying to get a big catalog up, the biggest catalog in the world. But maybe we should focus more on engaging with them. So I I constantly strive to make music the thing that's happening in my living room and the thing that I want to turn on, maybe even more than watching a movie or doing something else.
1: I'm going to leave that question open if there's other Panelists that yeah.
2: agree.
4: Gabe, <laughs> okay.
3: we have a bunch of bugs we have to fix in our uh, in our software. That's where we can make improvements. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I I think that you know ultimately creating um, you know whether it's I, I'm not totally convinced that uh, you know of all the music fans out there that everybody wants to necessarily engage like. The maniacs like like Ty Roberts. I think that there are a lot that do, um, but I think that creating, um, you know, again, collaborating with these different means of being able to digest and consume music, um, you know, finding out the right ways to work together to create, to create the most seamless um, and convenient experience for the end user. I mean, our lives are really busy and getting busier, and to the extent that we have easy access um, to. Listen to music in these number of different formats. I think that's what's key. Mobile has clearly been a game changer. The iPod, you know, ten years ago was clearly a game changer. Um, I think what we need to ask ourselves is, you know, it's what is what's next.
1: Yeah, and I think something we talked about uh, as well that was interesting is the soul of music, the soul of the experience. You know, there there's no substitute yet for that excitement that you feel when you came across an amazing song that you just had to share with somebody you care about and that 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 energy that spirit is not reflected yet there's no service that can replicate that there's no post that you can make that is that same experience so if if there's someone i don't know if it's programming that's the the is it the radio Uh, experience that we're missing what what makes up for the soul of the music experience I'll
2: I'll tell you I'll jump in on and maybe it's sort of half an answer for what you're talking about one thing that we've been thinking about a lot is um, what what is an overall radio experience in 2011 right and and what do people really want from it and we see some statistics like You know, we have basically, at at Slack, you have the ability to sit back and listen to the radio. You have the ability to personalize your radio station. Um, You have the ability to stop that and move into a a more of an on-demand experience, similar to, you know, Spotify or Rhapsody. And we see that um, about 80-plus percent of the usage uh, for people who have all these options is still lean back, They may lean forward and stop things, but they really want a sort of curated, entertaining experience. So when when we looked at that, we decided that um, we we held that idea, and then we took a look at another brand that we did a deal with, ESPN, and we saw what they did, uh, particularly around fantasy, fantasy football, and how, you know, as I'm a, a big sports fan, a big football fan, it felt like 10 years ago the sort of industry wisdom, when you would look at the NFL, and to a degree, you would look at the major broadcast channels was, we have our product, and it's real. And then this fantasy thing is something that's happening online, and it's somehow not real, or cheaper, or whatever. And at a certain point, it seems in the last couple of years, to speak to what Ty talked about, um, there was a recognition about what all that power was, and that the audience really wanted sort of fantasy, as well as the real thing. So now you turn on NBC, and you see, like... You know the opening graphics are about fantasy football, and there's someone with a smartphone in their hand, and then right. there's Drew Brees. It's like the fantasy football is.
5: report, which yeah. is like,
2: <laughs> what? And and I I think to to tie so so to you know I don't want it to be a pitch for Slacker. At Slacker, we just asked those questions and said, okay, we have to do more. Let's go after best of breed companies that make a great radio experience. So in sports, we did a deal with. Uh, ESPN In news, we did a deal with ABC News. We're about to do some other deals that we're going to announce to have a full experience. But still, music is the core. I think to Ty's point, what we struggle with and what we try to do every day and, and what I think the whole music industry is challenged with and maybe people who are developing music tech products is, you know, you take a look at that ESPN example and say, how can we get closer to that? How can we build that more into the kind of products we're creating and basically listen to the audience because it's clear that's part of what we they want. We have to
5: convey more information about the individuals that are actually behind the, the products. If you look at the sports shows or you look at the Olymp- watch the Olympics broadcast, about half the Olympics broadcast is the background of the athlete. If you ever you see them even touch a ball or run, you've learned about their family. You learn about their background. You learn about what their story is because that makes a connection between you and the person. And we don't do a good job at that in these digital music products. We show a very tiny album cover. We have Grace Notes working on trying... We're trying to actually get pictures of the artists. Like, it's actually hard to do this. Like, imagine we have a product where we barely show the pictures of the people who actually do this stuff when they're actually interesting and they actually do something. They typically have a story. They typically live in certain places. They typically hang out with certain people, and they say things. We're getting the say things stuff because they can say it through Twitter. But we're not getting... visuals and we're really not getting a lot of rich information on them and that could be very important to helping people connect with those those artists. So we
6: have um, an idea about the soul of music um, that in some ways I think is reflected in the service ironically through chat and group chat's been around 20 years going back to AOL people connection Um, and to some degree the music on turntable is an excuse to actually just talk with each other and chat with each other (laughs) not vice versa. Um, But music is a great context for that. And so, when we started, um, one of the problems recently is the rooms have gotten too crowded and you can't find a DJ slot. And we're fixing that in the next couple of days. You'll see a new navigation system that allows you to very easily find available uh, DJ opportunities. But, you know, when we started, I remember going into like a 15 person room and um, one of the folks in the audience, uh, my friend Chris was, you know, said, um, okay, everybody up there, play music that you first learn the lyrics to. And in a totally organic, this wasn't the name of the room. It just kind of happened inside the room. And so I had to decide between, I think it was um, Blondie Heart of Glass and the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. And I chose the latter. And the guy before me played Tribe Called Quest. And so immediately I was like, oh, this guy must be... 20-something, 30-something, you know, not exactly my generation, and I played the Rolling Stones and sort of was chatting about how whenever I wanted something, my parents would sing me this song, <laughs> and it really pissed me off, <laughs> but, you know, bottom line is we built a connection around the music that was profound, it was deep, right, and it wasn't just about the bit rate or the album cover or the liner notes or the lyrics. It was about what did that music not just do to us when we were listening to it in that moment, but, you know, music is a, a totem pole for experiences over time and you know from our childhood to when we first had a date to when, you know, we first got married or whatever it is. Yeah, but did you get a head-bop? I did. <laughs> <laughs> no
4: many, one
2: many, ye- many. no one yelled at you for playing a seven minute song? No, you were in the right room.
1: So in this new, th- this new uh, industry, where's the money coming from? And that's an open question to the panel. Damn, I knew you'd bring that up. <laughs> How do we make money?
3: <laughs> we charge for our software, and uh, people pay for it, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, we, we actually do, we offer a, uh, a freemium service. People are able to try our software for free, and if they like it, uh, they buy it. Some people just buy it outright. Um, but our conversion from free to paid is about 6 to 7x that of uh, industry standard right now. So without getting into specifics, um, it's double-digit conversion on a regular basis. And through certain channels, it's above 20%, which is insane. Totally not what we projected coming out, but it's clear that, that we've hit a nerve. And to be fair, we did try to get uh, other sources of revenue as well. Uh, we have a concerts feature in Tuverse that scans your music collection, lets you know which concerts are coming to town. Uh, the affiliate fees have effectively gone away uh, at this point, um, so it 's a good thing we didn 't build our business model on uh, concert ticket affiliate fees um, and you know early on we we thought as to whether or not we just wanted to give this away for free and figure out the whole money thing later and uh, decided against it and it was the uh, it was the right choice to give a little more color we um, I don't know if this is great press, but it's the truth. Um, we've effectively doubled our prices over the last two and a half years. Um, we had a sort of introductory price out there to sort of test the waters. Then we raised it a little bit as we sort of brought in new features. Then we brought in another feature and we raised it. And now we're charging effectively twice of what we, ch- uh, what we charged when we came out of the gate. And we haven't really seen conversions dip. Um, so, you know, charging for services while well, seems sort of... Uh, can't be an antiquated at this point. Uh, actually actually works for us. Um, so
1: So are there we're, we're, we have to go to questions soon, but I think Wait. this is an important question um, for the panel panelists to answer to the extent that it's possible about where the money flow actually does come from You know, for a, a content producer or um, we also have technology platforms in the room. I think we have an answer to that to a certain degree, software license fees and, and possibly other revenue models, but there are other revenue models presented on the panel, so if you could just briefly... Speak to that, and then we can go straight to questions.
2: I'll go fast. We we believe that uh, the advertising model works, and we believe that the premium model works in terms of charging for premium experiences. Um, we have both of those pathways. We monetize both of them. We're very focused on converting people from free to premium. We think that, or from advertising base to premium during their life. Um, with Slacker, we think that is a really effective way of, of not only monetizing uh, the audience, but also growing you know, the community and the relationship that we have with people, and we're full speed ahead on it.
4: Vivo is an ad-supported service, and consumers pay for it with their time to watch ads, and the advertisers pay for it to engage with those consumers. Um, we are also looking at creating a diversified revenue stream through other models.
5: Uh, Grayson's a B two B business primarily. We we license our data and information services to companies like Apple that basically put on the service or Sony's uh, music service. But the the I think the, the the answer is different for a technology company than necessarily an artist. Mm-hmm. I really think some of these new tools that are out there allow the artist to build a build a fan base and a direct connection to the fan base. So if you have the direct connection, that's really important because then you can figure out how to then. Uh, sell that fan base because they love you. And the reality is, I think it can be done. I think the tricky part is you've got to have a fan base to really be able to, to create products that they want. And those products could be live performance. Those products could be music. Those products might be paintings. Who knows what your fans may want? But the reality is you've got to build an audience first. And without an audience, you, you, it's, it, it is hard to monetize. It's just you have to have the fans first.
6: Uh, so we, we launched a little bit more than three months ago. Um, we're not driving uh, money through the system yet. Um, we don't intend to charge for the service. Um, we will, over time, integrate uh, sponsors to help bring unique artists into rooms um, and provide value that way. Um, we're also experimenting with virtual goods uh, to enable people, both listeners and DJs, to express themselves Um, more fully, so avatars, custom rooms, stuff like that. Um, There's also dynamics around providing uh, enhanced access, so maybe um, being able to move up the DJ queue, um, et cetera. There's a lot of good examples out there in social gaming and virtual goods that work outside of music that we will be uh, implementing uh, within Turntable.
1: So uh, it's time for questions. Um, So we'll open the floor. Let the mic come to you.
0: (laughs) So, I hear a couple of, or A, uh, there's an assumption in some of the answers that I've heard today. And I think most of the panel members as well as myself are old enough to realize that we're 30 years since the start of MTV. We're 25 years since the start of CDs, we're 15 years plus since MP3 proliferation has happened. Are there one or even two generations of people now who simply did not grow up with a music experience like what we had growing up? The idea that people gathered around the radio, they gathered around the turntable, they experienced music, versus it being a constant background sound everywhere that they go. And then, in fact the memories that we might associate with a song is not so necessarily an experience that a 22-year-old has ever had. And if they have, it was with the Twilight soundtrack. So is there, in fact, an opportunity to recreate that experience for the younger generations, or are we chasing something that has evolved away from us?
5: Good question. I mean, I, I, would, I would claim that he's create, recreating the... My f- five friends sitting around my you know floor yeah. of my bedroom, listening to records. The, he needs more visuals because we at least had the album cover to look at or we were looking at you know I don't know what some kind of magazines that had music artists in it. and so the reality is is that 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 group experience can happen, I think, through this new medium. Um, I think that the new world can create a richer experience because it wasn't a two-way medium. Now, how, more, how much I like Stephen Stills, he was not going to talk back to me through that record player, Okay, So the reality is is that in today's world, he might, although I don't know if I really want to still talk to him as much as I did then. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, but anyways, the reality is, is that, uh, that, that that two-way communication is a new kind of experience, and two-way collaboration is something that never, I mean, Stephen is talking to me, creating music with me, oh my God. So the reality is that could happen today. And, and some of these things, I mean, he's letting people make their own mixes. Maybe he'll be able to record those mixes in the future. Who knows what's going to happen?
4: I would add to that to say that you could also do it in a multi-sensory way. Because we were limited before in terms of how you can consume. So before it might have been just the pure listening experience. And it was limited by the size of your room. Now we don't have those limitations. So I would say part of it is recreating, but part of it is just thinking about the different ways in which that consumption can happen and how much more empowered the consumers are today to be able to create more of an enriching experience and how services can actually address them to delivering the tools to foster those relationships.
2: I I, I would say if you take a look look at the data... You know, you you may have seen a shift in in all sorts of usage, buying, interacting, um, but you, you often hear at conferences like this, there's more music being listened to or music being consumed than ever before. That's true. I mean, there are, there have been massive changes. Things are much more song-oriented than album and artist-oriented, I think, particularly when you look at people who are, let's say, under... I mean, Ty, you were saying in the groom room, under 30. I was going to say under 25. But, you know, I I have a couple of kids. It's anecdotal. And then I see the data from Slacker. I mean, these are millions of plays of songs. And Julie, to your point, videos. um, I think that there is an assumption among a couple of generations. uh, not, Not that they're not interested in music. Watch them hang out with each other. They'll sing whatever the biggest songs are. There are business problems, you know, in terms of how do we monetize it? What is their expectation? And as companies, are we giving them good enough products that we can move them from freemium to paid, if that's your model, or basically monetize it? But I don't think that they are lost generations in terms of interest in music. I think they're generations that said no to traditional, old mass media, and that we have only been partially successful in garnering their attention. I think it's, I
5: think it's extremely well said, and I, mean, I think, think they are interested in, in a more participatory, participatory environment, and so we have to foster that. I wonder if you think about the competitiveness of our products, are the music products today digital and as cool as they are competitive with the other distractions that are out there? You could spend all day long screwing around with Facebook. You know, you don't really need much more than Facebook and a web browser and a lot of people at work have realized that's why they turn it off at a lot of companies. So the reality is is that that how does it stack up to video games? How does it stack up to you know, today's movies? How does it stack up today's really interesting TV shows? So the reality is we need to make sure our music products and the interactive ecosystem around them is really uh, awesome and competitive and attractive and really helps them, I guess, with you know, their social you know, environment as well as it's fun and it's interesting. And we just gotta do a lot better job of putting these things all together. I do feel the innovations are all there. I'm not sure the innovations are, are all in the right place to make it easy. You know, One problem with a very large company that owns a lot of the music market's distribution points is other people's innovations are not as easily to be incorporated into that. So it'd be great if there was more openness in the current music platforms that are out there so that people could innovate a little more easier. We're all building siloed applications, but we're not really integrating
7: the applications together.
1: I think
7: we have another question. Uh, yes, I am actually wanted to add to the discussion that just kind of started here. Um, to, to that point, it's, it's basically the same thing. What I heard him say is very similar to what I might hear my grandfather say. Back when I was young, we used to crowd around the radio and we used to imagine what these scenes were like. And now you watch it on TV and you don't have to do any of that work at all. And I think that the old way of thinking is what's holding us back right now with record labels saying, we want to hang on to the old ways. We don't think that the kids these days are going to have that same experience that we had, and it's not going to be as good. I've heard that from my dad. I've heard that from his dad, you know, going all the way back. Every generation thinks that how they experienced it was much better, and it would be nice when the record labels actually are able to let go of the old ways and embrace the young ways of consuming music the way that we're doing it now with a more social way, with a more collaborative way, and like you said, where the artist is actually interacting with the listener. That's just wasn't heard of many years ago. I mean, you'd have to be at the concert and maybe hope that he pointed to you in the audience. And that was the extent. And maybe that was really powerful to you back then. But kids today are experiencing it in a completely different way. And I think that's really important to think about things when you're approaching products or approaching who you're going to sell it to, that that's the way things are going this now. If that makes sense Yeah
5: no. One thing I just want to tell A very quick story Which is I was in London A few months ago iTunes has a music festival In London And the Foo Fighters Dave Grohl Is an artist Who's really in touch With his fans And the story That I was told There was the event, it's, a, it's a thing Where you run a lottery You get a ticket in there And there was a million people That tried to get a ticket To his show And only I don't know what 10 f- 3,000 can go or whatever, but outside there were like 400 fans, and Dave Grohl was like on his mobile phone, in touch with the fans, and he was going to the guy looking, saying, look, I'm not going on the stage unless these fans get into this gig, and they were like, well, we can't have any more, As a fire marshal, we've got all this kind of stuff, he says, no, they're outside, they're not getting in, and the guy says, no, don't worry, we'll get them in, and Dave Grohl's like, on there, they're not getting in, <laughs> I'm in touch with them right now, I'm talking to the main guys right out there, and literally, he said, kill the whole guest list, kill all the VIPs, kill everything, they're all getting in, and that's what they did, they basically told all the people you're not getting in and those fans all got in and he went on the stage when they were all on there and the reality was that because he had two way communication with like unknown or maybe somewhat known individuals outside on tweet twitter, you know twitter going dude they're not coming out for us you got to save us and he did you know that's an example of using communication like those fans will be his fans for life you know that's an incredible thing to do and not every artist can do that but the reality is that's an example of just communication enabling something if you, if you have the right attitude
2: um, so you are talking about collaborative
7: listening. Um, how do we get people from collaborative listening to the kind of um, performing and DJing that the Seth is encouraging to actual DJing, mixing, to performing and composing? How do we go back through that list? We had a sort of hope for that with um, the Guitar Hero Rock Band a burst of enthusiasm a couple of years ago. How do we get back to getting people to actually making music rather than just listening to it?
5: Uh, Dave Parker, are you here somewhere? Uh, I don't know. Uh, basically, you have to have a tool that lets them do this, and he's got the platform, and he can probably have a tool eventually that would let them do this, but it probably will have to assist them in various levels, from an amateur that wants to do something successfully, which right now amateurs are just playing tracks. It's working great. But if you really want to mix, then you really need to have real-time mixing, and you're going to need some assistance. If you really want to compose, you actually have to have some musical theory and knowledge inside the system. What's amazing is those technologies are in development right now. I saw an iPhone application here today, which does some of what you're talking about. I'm sure it can be done on the internet as well. And I think within the next couple of years, you'll see that. The result then is some new piece of music. And what needs to happen is we need that new record company world that gives him the flexibility to like record that and ship it out to people. You know, not shut it down. So that's a whole different thing. Because now we got a new collaborative work with five tracks from five famous artists and one guy you've never heard of. And guess what? He owns a piece of it. So the reality is, how do you how do you deal with that from a licensing perspective? Need to need to do it, or we'll just get run over by free stuff on the internet that does it. So this uh, question is directed uh, to Seth in particular. So this morning there was a panel and. Um, the uh, upshot was kind of: you have two choices. You can do direct licenses with record labels, but don't try to be profitable. Or you can work within a statutory license framework, and you're deeply constrained as to what you can do. And it strikes me that you guys are—are are you taking a different path than that? And if so, what is it?
6: It's a great question. I think we're out of time, though. <laughs> <laughs> Um, exactly. Um, you know, we respect the rights holders and we want to do the right thing. I do think there are uh, economic models that are sustainable in terms of having direct licenses uh, with the labels. Um, I think um, a lot of the first generation uh, of online music startups have clearly, you know, paved the way, paid the price, however you kind of put it for this newer generation, the fact that Spotify and Pandora and others and you know and Mog and RDO have been successful. Um, I think the record labels see the value in providing licenses um, that aren't about extracting the most money up front. Um, I think they have been um, encouraged slash frustrated by some of the exits of you know last FM and YouTube. Where there was tremendous equity value created for the investors, and some of the labels that tried to get all the upfront advances didn't participate that downstream. So I think the labels are starting to think more like venture capitalists. Um, they've got a way to go. I don't think they really understand equity um, the way that a traditional VC does. Um, but I've been encouraged, you know, so far. Um, you know, there's clearly um, resources like SoundExchange that are in place uh, to support. Um, you know statutory services, I think the challenge with um, focusing entirely on compliance with the DMCA is I think it restricts you from creating some really awesome interactive social features. so hopefully that's helpful.
1: I think we have time for probably two or two or three more questions. We've got about five minutes left, so. <laughs>
7: So, um, this is a question for a few of the panellists. Um, so, Seth, just after your service launched, you were forced to restrict um, access to visitors from the US only. Um, Julie, I'm pretty sure I've hit some Vivo videos when I go back home to the UK and been told I can't see them because I'm not it's, in the right place. It's live. So, yeah. It's live. And, um, Jack, I'm pretty sure your service is affected. Really, it's in everyone's interest that everyone from around the world will be able to access this content, and i Agree, it's definitely a dream. But how do you think the industry is ever going to move towards that? Or are we going to be stuck in this geographical defined world?
4: Well, without doing a whole lecture on music licensing, which is a separate conversation Mm -hmm. altogether, I think the existence of a company like ours and the existence of many innovative services, including Slacker and various other audio and video services in itself means that there is a path for services to exist and a willingness by the industry to be more agile. I think the, the challenge with a lot of services is delivering upon scale, because you can have a really innovative product. If you, can get, if you can't get consumers to engage with your service, might as well not exist. And it's less interesting for the source to modify their business model just for you if your service doesn't get a lot of traction. And I think that's what you know, a lot of us were talking about is the collaboration. We recognize that innovation will happen from everywhere. And the key is how do you collaborate across various services to deliver a service that really delivers upon that experience where consumers want to come to you at large scale and, therefore, you're able to develop monetization models that work so that you can operate as a business.
6: I mean, to that point, just what we saw when we launched is every night... I guess at whatever, you know, 11 o'clock our time, 30% of turntable was Japanese. And it sort of just was, it was crazy. And then 10% was Brazilian. Um, and clearly there's demand. Um, and I think what we had to do, obviously, in terms of being compliant, uh, is just cut that off. And I think that's one of the reasons why having direct licenses are so important, so that you can get the benefit of the international exposure.
2: And it's also as as someone who worked uh, at a major label, there, you know, the, the, Seth, you talked about a sort of start of a new mentality and a better understanding licensing. It's it's incredibly difficult for any company to license in North America. There's also a challenge. The, the labels are the content owners. You know, we took a strategy that we were going to license for North America and um, feel good about that strategy and, and think it was the right way to go. But it was incredibly difficult in this market, arguably the easiest market, to license in. And whoever, anyone who's ever tried to license, even for North America, can tell you how difficult that process has been over the last few years. So... Part of any content owner being sort of invested, whether it's the major labels or, or it's various different indie coalitions that have formed, part of it, hopefully, is that they'll take up the mantle and say, look, you know, this business needs to be, you know, uh, a business that can be global. How do we make that licensing process easier?
5: I mean, I, Vince Bannon isn't here from Getty Images, but you guys should – should- find out what they're doing with music because what Getty Images did for photography we could all be here 10 years ago and if you try to license a photo for the for a service, basically, it was impossible. You had to get a photo agent. They might call you back if you had a lot of money. If you were Time Magazine, they might call you back. If you're not, they're not calling you back. So what they did was just put it on the internet. They started licensing up catalogs. It's all 100% available. There's no advance. It's a click-wrap license. If you're Time Magazine, it's you know one, one price. And if you're, if you're uh, Joe Schmo, it's a different price. And this is a multi-billion dollar industry to unlock the potential photographs. And they are intending to do the exact thing for music. They are intending to put up a click rap, no license, music license for if you want to be a service or you want to be a guy and you need a track, it'll be right there. So I don't know if they'll be successful or not, but that's, that's one of the ideas that's out there. That's not the current plan for most of the major music companies, but that is an idea for how this could be changed.
1: And Ty, you've had the last word on the panel because okay. we are out of time. So thank you. To everyone, uh, thanks for the questions and thanks. For
2: your time. Thank you. Thank you.